Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by, and welcome to American Hotel Income Properties REIT LP Third Quarter Results Conference Call. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session for our analysts. To ask a question during this time, simply press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. If at any time you require further assistance, please press star zero. I would now like to turn the conference over today to Jamie Koskoska, Director of Investor Relations. You may begin your conference. Thank you, Michelle. Good morning, everyone, and thanks for joining us for our third quarter 2020 results conference call. Discussing AHIP's performance today are Jonathan Coral, Chief Executive Officer, Bruce Tite, Chief Operating Officer, and Azim Leilani, Chief Financial Officer. The following discussion will include forward-looking statements as required by securities regulators in Canada. Comments that are not a statement of fact, including projections of future earnings, revenue, income, and FFO, are considered forward-looking and involve risks and uncertainties. The risks and uncertainties that could cause our actual financial and operating results to differ significantly from our forward-looking statements are detailed in our MD&A for the three and nine months ended September 30th, 2020, and our other Canadian securities filings, available on CDAR and our website at ahipreit.com. AHIP does not undertake to update or revise any forward-looking statements to reflect new events or circumstances, except as required by law. Listeners are urged to review the full discussion of risk factors on AHIP's annual information form dated March 24, 2020, which has been filed on CDAR at CDAR.com. Our third quarter results are made available yesterday evening. We encourage you to review our earnings release, MD&A, and financial statements, which are available on our website as well as CDAR. On this call, we will discuss certain non-IFRS financial measures, including NOI, FFO, and AFFO. For the identification, of these non-IFRS financial measures and the most directly comparable IFRS financial measure and a reconciliation between the two, please see our MDNA. All figures discussed on today's call are in U.S. dollars unless otherwise indicated. I would like to remind everyone this call is being recorded today, November 10th, 2020. A replay of this call will be available on our website. Jonathan will begin today's call with an update regarding recent initiatives and portfolio strategy. Bruce will provide an update on hotel operations and Azim will review our financial results. And I'll turn the call over to Jonathan Coral, Chief Executive Officer. Thank you, Jamie, and thank you everyone for joining us today for our 2020 third quarter financial results conference call. I look forward to speaking with many of you over the next few weeks. It's been a very busy time since joining AHIP in early October. I'm very impressed with the dedication of our team, our external manager, and the many associates at our hotels whose combined efforts have allowed us to operate profitably in a very challenging environment. As we all await events that will allow travel volumes to normalize, our performance during the darkest days of the pandemic bolsters my confidence in our positioning relative to other lodging REITs now and in in future phases of the economic cycle. AHIP is among the first in our publicly traded lodging peer group to generate positive cash flow. We've proven an ability to operate efficiently and most of all profitably at low occupancy levels. Going forward, our association with top global hospitality brands and the strong value proposition of the select service model bodes well for our continued outperformance. In short, the portfolio as assembled provides us with security in uncertain times and the ability to produce strong returns for our investors during periods of economic prosperity. Our third quarter demonstrated the resilience of AHIP's premium-branded, rooms-focused hotel portfolio. Our hotels recorded average occupancy of 57.1%, significantly higher than the U.S. national average occupancy of 48.5%, as reported by STR for the quarter and more than 64% higher than AHIP's second quarter occupancy of 34.7%. While our financial results continue to be impacted by the ongoing pandemic, 
we were pleased to see a sustained improvement underway across all of our hotel segments. RevFAR at our 24 extended stay properties was approximately $77, 33% better than the second quarter. They continue to be our best performing properties, but perhaps more importantly, our other 49 select service hotels saw RevPAR improve by 88%, and our five embassy suites hotels saw RevPAR improve more than 200% from Q2, as four of the five of those hotels spent parts of Q2 closed for business. These trends indicate that U.S. domestic travel is improving, whether it's for leisure, youth sports, medical, or government needs, even in states contending with rising COVID-19 counts. We're very pleased to report positive FFO for the third quarter, which very few U.S. hotel REITs have been able to achieve since the pandemic began. This was helped in part by diligent property level cost containment and efficient hotel staffing levels implemented by our external manager and in-house asset management team. Net operating income margins for the third quarter were 31.5%, almost doubling from 15.8% in the second quarter of 2020. Turning to the balance sheet, in the last several weeks, we have continued our discussions with our CMBS lenders and were successful in negotiating relief on all of our remaining loans. <clears throat> so we're pleased to confirm that as of yesterday, all 20 CMBS loans totaling $578 million, have now received relief terms to assist us as we continue contending with COVID-19-related pressures. Given the uncertainty around when the pandemic will end and more normalized travel patterns will resume, we remain focused on maintaining liquidity and preserving capital over the next several quarters. Doing so increases our flexibility to navigate an unpredictable operating environment. It will also allow us to emerge from the pandemic in a position of strength, ensuring that we have access to capital for future opportunistic growth. Today, we have $40.2 million of available liquidity comprised of both unrestricted cash and available revolver capacity, plus an additional $25.7 million of restricted cash. During the quarter, we significantly improved our operating performance, resulting in increased cash flow compared to the second quarter. We remain confident in the resilience of our portfolio as we actively manage through the ongoing pandemic. And with those quarterly highlights, I'll now turn the call over to Bruce to discuss third quarter hotel operations in more detail. Azim will then discuss our third quarter financial metrics. Bruce? Thank you. Thank you, Jonathan, and good morning, everyone. AIP's portfolio continues to recover in Q3 with revenues increasing from Q2 by approximately $19 million, or 70%, from $27.1 million to $46.1 million. The third quarter was marked by sustained occupancy and REVPAR recovery, alongside a continued focus on operating efficiencies across AHIP's portfolio. All of AHIP's hotels have been opened since mid-June. We are pleased to see all three segments of our business, embassy suites, extended stay, and select service have sustained and materially improved business levels compared to the second quarter. In fact, our same store 66 properties, third quarter gross operating profit margin of 41.3% was significantly higher than the 30.9% we recorded last quarter and higher than the 40.1 margin our same store hotels generated in the third quarter last year. While the pandemic continues to provide headwinds for the hotel sector in terms of occupancy and revenue, we have been very pleased with our hotel managers execution on cost containment initiatives. Specifically, hotels continue to operate with relaxed brand standards, positively impacting margins in our rooms department, particularly around housekeeping and complimentary services. Our hotel manager has added back staffing positions in Q3 in accordance with growing business demand, 
our hotels continue to operate at staffing levels 48% below pre-pandemic levels. This margin enhancement, coupled with, with our ongoing revenue recovery, has supported our positive cash flow and FFO this quarter. REVPAR across our portfolio improved 67% from the second quarter, due mostly to occupancy growth and some improvement in average daily rates. All of AHIP's hotel segments saw ADR growth from Q2. Our 49 select service hotels grew ADR 3.8%, the five embassies 3%, and our 24 extended stay properties 2.1%. Total occupancy for the 78 hotels in the third quarter was 57.1%, a 22.4% improvement from the second quarter. On a monthly basis, we, con we continue to see consistent occupancy in each month of the quarter. Occupancy in July was 55.3%, occupancy in August was 58.3%, and occupancy in September was 57.7%. There were concerns that our occupancy would fall in September with the return to school and a typical reduction of leisure demand after Labor Day. This has not been the case and we have seen strong leisure segment demand continue through the months of September and October. In October, our occupancy was 58.3%, demonstrating continued recovery in the start of the fourth quarter. It's worth noting historically we see seasonal softening of our occupancy in the months of November and December. As mentioned, much like the second quarter, our occupancy continues to be driven by the leisure segment, which has resulted in the peak occupancy at our hotels shifting from midweek to weekends. Our booking windows continue to be shorter than historical norms, with guest rooms typically being reserved within five days of arrival. Geographically, our best occupancy performing markets during the third quarter were New Jersey's six hotels at 79.7%, our five hotels in the Midwest, in Illinois, Iowa, Kansas, and Missouri, at 77.3%, and Tennessee's two hotels at 73.4%. Overall, we saw broad-based occupancy growth across many other regions. In fact, Nine hotels recorded 80% occupancy in the quarter, including two hotels over 90%, the Holiday Inn Express in Emporia, Kansas at 91.3%, and the Residence Inn Neptune, New Jersey at 90.3%. We also saw 14 hotels with occupancy for the quarter between 70 and 79%. AF's 24 extended stay properties excuse me, continued to be the best performing segment within our portfolio, averaging 70.6% occupancy during the third quarter with an average rate of $108.30. These, these 24 extended stay hotels accounted for 29% of our guest rooms and their strong performance generated 39% of our revenue during the quarter. Our 49 select service properties had an average occupancy of 55% for the quarter, growth of 24.6 points from 30.4% occupancy in Q2. Our five embassy suites hotels, which are generally located in larger secondary markets and have exposure to meetings and conference business segments, were the most challenged properties in our portfolio recording average occupancy of 39.5% during the third quarter. We did see the first signs of some small meeting business in these hotels in Q3, and also the return of youth sports teams that tend to have an affinity for the embassy guest suite product. Occupancy in October for our five embassies was 43.4%. <clears throat> Our capital spend in Q3 was limited to emergency requests related to life safety and asset preservation. We had no new capital renovation projects scheduled in Q3 or for the remainder of this year. While it has been an unprecedented operating environment over the last several months, 
it should not be forgotten that our portfolio is significantly different today than it was in the same period last year. With the sale of our former economy lodging portfolio and acquisition of 12 additional premium branded hotels, both occurring in the fourth quarter of 2019. And more recently, the sale of the Wingate Tampa at the end of August this year. While all metrics improved on a same store basis compared to the second quarter this year, compared to the third quarter last year, AHIP's 66 same-store hotels saw rev par decline of 41% to $54.46, with ADR decreasing 18.2% and occupancy decreasing 22 percentage points, all due to ongoing pandemic-related sector headwinds. Overall, our 78 hotels continue to outperform their respective comp sets, with a REVPAR index of 122.6 during the third quarter, and further demonstrated by higher occupancy figures than many of our hotel REIT peers. Our extended stay properties once again led this performance with a REVPAR index of 144.25, where 100 represents a fair share of market. This continues to be a dynamic operating environment and our hotel manager and all the employees working at our 78 hotels have done an exceptional job at adjusting to new operating protocols and safety measures. I would like to thank them again for their ongoing efforts to ensure our properties remain safe and comfortable for all our guests and employees. And with that update on hotel operations, I'll now turn the call to Azim to discuss financial and capital metrics. Azim? Thank you, Bruce. Good morning, everyone. During the quarter, REVPAR declined 28.1%, with occupancy dropping by 19.4 percentage points due to COVID-19 and ADR declining by 3.7%, partly caused by the pandemic and portfolio changes, as last year we had the lower-rated economy lodging portfolio in our quarterly results. Total revenues declined 47.7%, to $46.3 million. Our ongoing cost containment initiatives have been successful in moderating the impact to net operating income for the third quarter and and enabled us to generate $14.6 million of NOI. This represents an NOI margin of 31.5%, just two percentage points lower than the 33.5% NOI margin recorded in the third quarter last year and significantly better than the NOI margin generated during the second quarter. Loss and comprehensive loss for the third quarter was $12.1 million, compared to net income of $2.1 million last year. Contributing to the reported loss this quarter were lower operating income, higher interest expense, and impairment charges recorded for three Oklahoma-based hotels. Diluted loss per unit for the quarter was $0.15, compared to a diluted income per unit of $0.03 last year. We were pleased to generate positive FFO during the quarter at $120,000, and AFFO was $218,000. Although both these metrics are down compared to last year, these are significantly better than the FFO of minus $9.1 million dollars, and AFFO of minus $8.7 million reported in the second quarter. On a per unit basis, both FFO and AFFO were zero, significantly better than the minus 12 cents and and minus 11 cents respectively reported in the second quarter. Our same property results for the third quarter represent the 66 hotels owned continuously since January 1st, 2019. For the third quarter, same property REVPAR declined by 41%, resulting in total revenues declining by 42.4% to $39.3 million, and same property net operating income was $12.3 million, down from the third quarter last year, reflecting the impacts of COVID-19. Despite the lower revenues, strong cost containment initiatives helped in in keeping the margin decline 
to only 2.7 percentage points at 31.4%. For the first nine months of 2020, total revenue declined 47.7% to $135.4 million due to pandemic-related occupancy declines. ADR during this period actually improved 4.2% compared to the same period last year as a result of our capital recycling activities, resulting in newer, higher quality hotels in our portfolio today compared to last year. RevPAR for the first nine months declined 29.3% to $52.95. Net operating income for the first nine months was positive at $36.8 million, with NOI margins declining 6.8 percentage points to 27.1%. Loss and comprehensive loss for the nine months was $45.5 million, including $8 million of non-cash impairment charges. FFO for the first nine months was minus $4.3 million, or negative six cents per unit, and AFFO was minus $4.8 million, also negative six cents per unit. Turning to capital and liquidity metrics, as at September 30th, AIP had total liquidity of $40.2 million, consisting of cash balances of $26.9 million and available revolver capacity of approximately $13.3 million. In addition, AIP had restricted cash balances of approximately $25.7 million. As Jonathan referenced, we have successfully completed negotiations with all of our CMBS loan servicers that have allowed us to utilize restricted cash reserves to fund debt service for the next 90 days, as well as a deferral on funding FF&E reserves for 90 days for all of our CMBS loans, totaling $578 million. The relief amounts will be repaid over the next six to 12 months after the completion of the relief period. At the end of September, we had a weighted average remaining term on our total debt of 4.8 years and a weighted average interest rate of 4.55%. We have no immediate debt maturities until June 2022. We are also current on all of our debt service payments. As the recovery continues and we generate incremental positive cash flow, our plans are to continue focusing on paying down our debt and further enhancing our liquidity. We believe this is a prudent and conservative approach given the ongoing pandemic and economic environment. During the quarter, we sold the Wingate Tampa for a sale price of $7.5 million. On October 31st, AHIP collected a $2.4 million receivable plus accrued interest arising from the sale of the economy lodging portfolio. In both cases, net proceeds were used to pay down our revolver. With that financial discussion, I'll turn the call back to Jonathan for some closing remarks. Jonathan. Thanks, Azim. <clears throat> the pandemic has presented challenging conditions for all hotel owners, and we are pleased overall with how our portfolio performed within this context. The pace of occupancy and REVFAR recovery underway across all of our 78 hotels has bolstered my confidence that our portfolio is primed to emerge from that pandemic in a position of strength. Our portfolio remains uniquely positioned to cater to the increased proportion of domestic leisure travel demand with a suites-focused select service hotel product and hotels strategically located in drive-to locations outside of large urban centers. And while our 24 extended stay properties continue to lead our performance with 70.6% occupancy in the third quarter and 7% occupancy in October, the strong REVFAR recovery underway at our other select service properties and MSC Suites Hotels is further strength strengthening our revenue streams and cash flows. I think it's important to note that as much as we are focused on our financial performance, there has been an incredible effort by our hotel manager to ensure the ongoing health and safety of our guests and our hotel staff during this time. Masks are now mandatory in all of our hotels. Front desk plexiglass barriers are now used across our portfolio. Enhanced cleaning and disinfecting schedules are underway, and we've provided alternative grab-and-go food and beverage options to guests at properties 
that would otherwise offer restaurant or bar amenities. I'd like to thank our hotel manager and all of our hotel associates for their continued efforts in these unusual times. I would also like to thank our lending partners and fellow unit holders for their ongoing support. And I look forward to growing our relationships in the future as our business recovers and grows in the years ahead. The cloud of uncertainty in the macro economy will dissipate eventually, and with that, hospitality and tourism businesses will once again have their moment in the sun. Everything we do here at AHIP is to ensure that we are well prepared for that day and that our financial standing affords us the ability to get back to what we were built for, generating monthly distributions, enhancing the value of our portfolio, and increasing FFO per unit through accretive acquisitions and targeted CapEx programs. So, with that overview of our third quarter and recent initiatives, we'll now open the call to questions from analysts. Operator? At this time, if any analyst has a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. Again, that would be star 1 on your telephone keypad. Your first question comes from Lauren Kalmar from TD Securities. Your line is open. Thank you. Uh, good. I guess good morning for you guys, and uh, Jonathan, congratulations on the new role. Um, Thanks, Lauren. For, of course. Uh, my first question is, in, uh, looking at the STR stats and, and the occupancy stats that you guys had in the third quarter, um, it looks like things have kind of plateaued. I mean, for SDR, it's a little bit below you guys uh, for the reason you stated. But for the duration of the pandemic, do you see any catalyst to drive that occupancy up further? You think it's sort of fair to say that, you know, for as long as this thing drags on, you, the occupancy will be more or less range-bound? Uh, hi, Lauren. It's, it's Bruce. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a good question. Um, we do believe that we're going to continue to see um, uh, leisure travel across our portfolio. Uh, and our manager tells us that they're starting to see a little bit of corporate travel. Uh, I, I think as people become more comfortable with uh, a therapeutic or a vaccine, that that'll also enhance uh, travel patterns, both for leisure and corporate guests. So uh, I wouldn't say that we've plateaued. Um, I think as we get into 2021, uh, we'll, see, we'll be more optimistic and see more growth across the, the uh, portfolio. Okay, that's uh, good color. And then um, the, the next big one is on, on the operating costs. You guys have always done, or Ainbridge has done a great job uh, keeping the cost down this quarter. Uh, I think year over year is down about uh, 400 basis points um, as a percentage of revenue. Uh, and understanding that's a part of, you know, the restricted housekeeping um, uh, operations now, you know, how long do you guys think you can keep this uh, this going? Or, or is this maybe a structural change where, you know, on a go-forward basis, this is how, how things will be run? Yeah. Um, I, I think, Lauren, it's Bruce again. I, I think there will be some structural change to how we operate these hotels. Um, you know, from what the offering is from a complimentary services perspective, you know, breakfast and evening receptions, I think, is going to change going forward. Um, I think as well our manager has really refined the management requires, requirement to operate these hotels, and, and, and we believe we're going to see that, that benefit going forward, uh, e even as our, our business um, comes back to normal, so to speak. So, so, so there will be some uh, uh, adjustments to our cost structure going forward. Okay, thanks again, Bruce. Maybe I'll, I'll give you a break and uh, a quick one for Azeem. I was just wondering, was there anything one time in uh, in interest expense? Um, not necessarily. I think uh, some of it was tied to um, as we were uh, using some of our suppliers uh, and working capital um, financing, um, we had some interest expense coming out there, but nothing, nothing out of the ordinary. Okay, great. Uh, thank you all so much. I'll turn it back. And your next question will come from Matt Logan from RBC Capital. Your line is open. Thank you, and good morning. Good morning. Based on your prepared remarks, it sounds like occupancy is holding in so far in the fourth quarter. Uh, but in your press release, you mentioned that you expected you could see some performance deterioration over the seasonally slower winter months. 
Can you just give us a sense for your expectations over the next couple of quarters and if you think those trends will be sufficient to maintain the positive FFO trajectory? Matt, Matt, it's Bruce. Um, uh, I'll I'll answer the uh, the question the best that I can. Uh, You know, as as I mentioned, our our booking windows give or take five days. So we don't have great visibility on the business um, going forward, right? what Q1 might look like um, next year as an example. Um, we, we have historically seen occupancy soften as we get into later November and December. And, and although we don't have any visibility into those time periods yet, I think our current assumption is that we'll see that again this year. So, uh, you know, where the hotels in aggregate have been running 57% occupancy, let's say, in, in uh, Q3, and, and again, a very good month in October. You know, I, I suspect they'll tick down uh, maybe closer to the 50% range for uh, November and December. Uh, and, and it's very difficult to talk about the first quarter at this point. I appreciate the difficulty in trying to put a pin in the numbers. Uh, perhaps on the expense front, wondering if there is any major capital items over the next year that you have visibility towards? Yeah. Um, uh, honestly, not really. Um, the brands have been uh, very open with regards to, let's say, what our, what our PIP schedule might have looked like a year ago. And, uh, and in fact, Marriott, as an example, has basically suspended or pushed out PIPs with, with a view of having those conversations as we get back into 2022. Um, Hilton is really looking at things on a case-by-case basis, uh, but, but we see really very minimal uh, significant capital projects as we head into 2021. I think it'll be more a discussion about what things might look like into 2022. It's good color. And in terms of your CMBS deferrals, uh, those are for a period of 90 days. If we find the economy has taken a step back or there are more lockdowns in Q1, is there an ability to extend any of those for another quarter till we get a vaccine later next year? Um, the, uh, the, the, the plan would be to uh, go for a second round of CMBS relief, which, uh, which some issuers are, are um, some uh, borrowers, are, borrowers are already doing. So that would be our strategy for that. And in terms of your portfolio, are there any properties currently delivering a negative EBITDA number that you might consider uh, selling as non-core assets uh, in the near term? Yeah, there are a few in, that fit into that category, uh, Matt. We would um, we're we're constantly looking at uh, evaluating opportunities to to sell. I think in this um, in this environment. There's, uh, you know, a significant bid ask spread, as many have talked about. Uh, the, um, the the financing pool is is limited for potential buyers. Um, so, you know, we're we're quite happy with where we sit right now. Um, our hotels have always been attractive to potential buyers, just because of their, um, you know, where on, on a whole where they stand portfolio wide. Uh, witnessed by our, our repar index of 122 in Q3, um, but you know we're not uh, we're not uh, distressed sellers. Um, it would have to be the right circumstances. Makes sense. And John, I know you've only been in the role for a short period of time, but perhaps you could talk about your top three priorities over the next year and potentially give us a sense for how you'd like to see the business evolve as the industry recovers. You bet. And uh, uh, I'll just I'll speak to, you know, the first part first. And, and certainly, you know, uh, in this environment, uh, as we alluded to in the remarks, the, uh, the focus is on the balance sheet. Um, capital preservation, maintaining liquidity, uh, balancing our payables um, with the backdrop of, you know, operating these hotels safely and, and, and in a manner that, uh, that is comfortable for not only our, our customers, but also um, our hotel staff. Um, I've spent the majority of my career as an owner, um, primarily through private vehicles, but, all, but in all cases with the same dynamics as AHIP. 
i.e. an internal asset management team monitoring the activities of an external manager. Um, a good owner is a, good, is a great asset manager, so you know, my, my focus is on um, balancing capital needs with an a, a eye on return on investment. Um, I, I understand the cyclicality of our business and, uh, and, and the need to be prepared to transact uh, and dip into the capital markets at the right time, and also the need to be uh, willing, willing buyers, but also willing sellers at the right time. So I think you'll see um, you know, that kind of, uh, those, those kind of dynamics play out in how we manage this business uh, going forward. I appreciate the color. Uh, that's all from me. I'll turn it back. Thank you. And your next question. Your next question will come from Joanne Chen from Bank of Montreal. Your line is open. Hi. Good morning. Uh, thanks for taking time. Just a quick question on my not to harp too much uh, on the occupancy front, but uh, and I apologize if I missed this earlier. But can you talk to maybe a little bit on how, uh, in terms of the occupancy of recovery during Q3, what, was it primarily in group travel, or um, was it a certain uh, group section of travel that that contributed to that recovery? Hi, hi Joanne. It, it's Bruce. Um, honestly, the recovery of occupancies really been in uh, almost almost exclusively in the leisure segment. So okay. it was leisure that we first saw in in Q2, uh, along with some, uh, you know, government medical logistics type groups. Um, that group, uh, government medical logistics, is still active in Q3, but what has really grown has been the drive, uh, has been the, the leisure side, really since Memorial Day. Um, we are still seeing very limited corporate or corporate group business in any of our hotels at this point. And so far in October, you're still seeing that kind of uh, in October and November, the leisure is still kind of keeping at the same pace? Yeah. As I mentioned earlier, you know, we had thought the leisure could fall off after Labor Day, but but that just has not happened. And and, and I, I don't think that's just true of our, our portfolio. Um, I think that's true in the industry as a whole. So, so September, October, uh, the first uh, couple of handfuls of days of November, it's still leisure that's driving our occupancy. Got it. And maybe just one more on occupancy in terms of five market. Um, you're, if you could comment on this, there's one that you're seeing a, a slightly bigger lag in terms of that recovery. I'm, I'm guessing it would be quite correlated to wherever um, in terms of the, the, the COVID count, case counts, I'm assuming. Yeah, you know, that's, a, that's an interesting question and comment. Um, uh, and, and I'll say this was true in Q2 as, as COVID um, grew. We don't see a direct correlation of states or markets maybe where there's a significant uh, expansion of the virus and a reduction okay. in occupancy. We, we haven't seen that correlation to date whatsoever, um, okay. so, which is really quite interesting, I think. Um, as far as states that are maybe exhibiting um, uh, lower occupancies, I think in Q3, um, Oklahoma was one of the states that had uh, lower occupancy as a whole, and, and I think that's a continuation of two things. Uh, increased supply that has been significant into that market over the last two years, uh, but also kind of the migration of oil and gas down into West Texas. I think that 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 has continued. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Uh, maybe just one last one for me with regards to kind of how we're thinking in terms of valuation at this point. I, I guess there's not a whole lot of data point to work off with and but just using the most recent data point, I guess, with your sale of uh, uh, Wingate Tampa at the end of August, uh, so that was sold at around $87,000 per door. So I, obviously, I know the age of the building and the location properties will vary, you know, with the valuation. But maybe if you can comment on how you think we should view um, the portfolio valuation at this juncture, from August to, to kind of now. I'll, I'll speak to that. Um... Joanne, and uh, just on Wingate, you know, this, this hotel was built in 98, 
Um, the average age of our portfolio right now is under four years when you consider the, the time since our newer hotels were built and the older ones have had a renovation. Uh, the Wingate was facing a rather large renovation, so close to $2 million of, of PIP requirements. So it brings the all-in basis over 110000 a key. So okay. uh, at the time, we didn't, we didn't feel the return on that incremental investment was going to be accretive to our portfolio, so we decided to sell it. Um, and, and so, so that, that's the Wingate. I think when you discuss valuations in this, in this environment, uh, you know, the, the transaction volume is somewhat spotty, so it's hard to get a, a true view on, um, on properties that are changing hands with a willing buyer and a willing seller. Um, so, you know, in, it, this is always the push and pull in, in an environment like this. But um, you know, that's why we're focused on the, uh, the operations of our portfolio and, um, and, and seeing through to, to an environment where, where that dynamic no longer exists. Okay. Well, that, that's fair. Um, that's it for me, and I'll, I'll turn it back. Thank you. Thank you. And your next question will come from Mario Sarek from Scotiabank. Your line is open. Hi, thank you, and good morning. Uh, two, uh, two really quick questions on the leisure side, and I'm not sure if you have the data, but uh, in terms of uh, the typical uh, you know, customer profile in the leisure segment, do you have any sense in terms of how far they're traveling to get to your hotel on average? Mario, it's Bruce. I don't have any strong data that, would, that could say they're traveling within 100 miles or 200 miles. You know, I think a lot of the leisure visitation we're seeing um, is is related to family trips to see family and maybe vacations. That you know, those sorts of things. Um, we, we've also seen a significant uptick in uh, 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 youth sports. So, uh, from a youth sport perspective, those folks are usually traveling within the state or within states around the, the destination. So use Arizona as an example. Um, I, I know our embassy suites in, uh, in Tempe sees uh, many sports teams from California that are coming here to play in tournaments. And I believe the same is true in Ohio, uh, where we have uh, uh, teams coming from neighboring states. So, uh, you know, that, that speaks a little bit to that sports segment, um, but I don't have great data on the on the general leisure travel radius. Okay, and uh, the youth sports that you've highlighted, uh, do you have a sense of what percentage of the leisure demand during Q3 that represented? I'm sorry, can you, can you repeat that question? You were hard to hear. Sorry, uh, the youth sports uh, as oh. a percentage of total leisure demand during the quarter, any sense of what that was? Uh, I, I can I can try and get that for you specifically. In the grand scheme of things, it's not that significant. It's certainly helping some of our assets, and I think especially our embassies, as I said earlier. But it's it's not a uh, you know you know it's not a significant portion of the of the leisure segment. We can try and follow up with you and get you more detail from our manager. Okay. Uh, my my second question. Uh, pertains to, and there's been a lot of press uh, recently in terms of the industry uh, potentially uh, you know, benefiting or looking for ways to capture the perhaps increasingly frustrated work from home population base that uh, that does need a bit of a of a break or a disconnect between work and home. Uh, how uh, how do you think about that within the portfolio, and is that an opportunity? Uh, for you going forward to capture incremental demand by perhaps kind of reshaping select suites at, at certain hotels in terms of you know capturing that, that daytime work uh, population? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good question. And I, I guess I would tell you to date, we haven't seen any kind of significant impact as, a, as it's uh, from a revenue perspective. Both Marriott and Hilton have rolled out that program over the last 30, 45 days. Uh, we have talked to uh, Ambridge about uh, which of our assets might be best suited for that type of a program, although we wouldn't confine it to just a few assets. Um, if we have availability and, and we could sell a room for a day, um, we would certainly do that. Um, but to date, we haven't seen much impact. I think maybe, uh, you know, maybe when we talk again, 
um, in, in March, we'll have some, some data on, on really what the program looks like. It was really rolled out at the beginning of the fourth quarter in, in both instances. Okay, that's it for me, thank you. And your next question will come from Kale Woolley from National Bank. Your line is open. Hi, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Just wondering, um, you know, there have been some scuttlebutt uh, sort of pre-election that there might be some sort of uh, support package or something like that coming for the leisure and hospitality industry in the U.S. Um, can you just give us an update on sort of what you're thinking or expectations might be around that? Uh, hi, um, Paul. This is Izzy. Um, yeah, I'll take this one. Um, yeah. th there's, there's been some talk about uh, some relief on the CMBS front, um, as well as potentially expansion of um, the CARES Act uh, program. Uh, but with the election, everything sort of got put on hold. So we're, but we are expecting some, some additional relief to come down the pipeline. Okay. Um, and then. Uh, might be a little bit harder question to answer, but are there like any, when you look at like your base of business from year to year, are there any, you know, key events, like whether it's conferences or things like that, that, you know, really sort of move the needle for the business um, that you kind of know already probably aren't going to be happening in 2021? Like rather than so sort of not, not asking about, you know, what does your reservation book look like, but it's like, what do you know right now sort of that, you know, has been, you know, unlikely to happen in 2021 that could matter? Yeah. Hi, it's, it's Bruce. And I guess I'd answer that um, by saying, I don't think we're terribly optimistic that we'll see significant group business in the second quarter of, of next year. You know, uh, group business tends to come into the hotels kind of March to May and September to November. Um, you know, in, in discussions with our manager, I think they're much more bullish about what next fall would look like from a group perspective compared to uh, this coming spring. Um, so uh, um, as far as other drivers, uh, you know, uh, when sporting events and those sorts of things can, you know, allow people back in stadiums, uh, we, we fully believe that we'll benefit from, from that decision. Okay. And uh, just specifically for that March to May season, like how, how much uh, would that group business be of that quarter typically? Yeah. Um, well, a, a couple of things. It, it really impacts our embassies more than any other asset, right? So I think, I think we'd have to kind of quantify it within the embassy portfolio of five hotels. Um, uh, and, and it may be in the 20 or 25% range of their mix in the spring. Um, but I, I think it's also worth noting that in the, in the absence of that, we are seeing more, as I said earlier, more youth uh, sport uh, type activity. And, and our hotels are, including our embassies, are really taking advantage of this leisure demand. So I would expect both those segments would help kind of backfill uh, for some of the group business we might lose in the spring. Okay. I'll, I'll, just, add, I'll, just, add to the, I'll just add to that, uh, to all, you know, the, the dynamics at work that make most of the full service hotels um, either not able to open or uh, not able to sustain any level of meaningful occupancy are the same that would you know suggest that you know the group business for us where we're not heavily dependent upon it uh, is not is, is is not reliable for the March to May uh, season next year so yeah. you know we're, we're we've chosen not to key on that specifically because uh, in in 2020 um, you know business was on the books but guess what you know within 30 days of 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 the event they didn't show they they canceled so you know we're not uh, we're not putting a ton of credence into uh into that group business um in 2021 okay that's super helpful thanks very much gentlemen thank you i i have no further say questions in queue right now i turn the call back over to the jonathan carell ceo for closing remarks 
Thanks again, everyone, uh, for joining us on our call today. Uh, look forward to speaking with all of you in the coming weeks and uh, most importantly in March when we report our fourth quarter in uh, 2020 annual results. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, everyone. This will conclude today's conference call. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.